Well, it is great to see you, Providence. And if you're a guest here in this room or at home or, um, or in some other room, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you've joined us. I want to ask you to uh, turn with me to John chapter 16. Uh, if you are new, uh, we're in a series through John. It's called Fully Alive. And, um, and uh, all through this uh, amazing book, which we have nine weeks left. Uh, so if you're uh, all excited about a new book, you only have to wait nine weeks, okay? And so we've, we have been here a while, I know. And, um, uh, but, but John's whole uh, passion in writing, uh, he says, is that we would believe that Christ, uh, that, that, that he is the Son of God. And in believing that, that we would have life in his name. And so... This entire book, uh, all the way up to uh, chapter 21, we're in uh, chapter 16, uh, is, uh, is, is for that end. And so if, uh, if you're new, that's sort of where we're at. And if you don't have with you a Bible, there's actually uh, some in the uh, seats near you. And if you don't have one at home, please take that home uh, as a gift. We would love for you to have that. Um, uh, uh, March, uh, it's a new month, uh, first Sunday of the month, and so there's a new passage for us to memorize. It's John chapter 16, verse 33, which we'll read at the end of our text, but let's go ahead and say it out loud as a whole family of faith right now. Okay, it's going to be on the screen for you. Here we go. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Why it's so important, if you're saying, well, gosh, like if you're new and you're like, that was really weird, why'd they do that? Um, and if you're not new and you say, that's weird that we do that every month, why do we do that? All right? It's because the Bible tells us, God tells us himself, uh, he says, if you hide your, my word in your heart, he goes, it'll incline you to not sin against me. And what that means is that this week, uh, you're going to be in places where you may not have a Bible with you at that moment or may not be uh, turned on your app, or or the phone might be in your pocket, to where you see things all around, and and you may, like your hope may give way. You you may see brokenness in the mirror uh, when you look into it, or it may be on a TV or a movie or in school or in the neighborhoods or what you hear from other people. And, And it's so critically important at that moment to have an anchor of truth that you can say, you know what, it's true, things are broken. But Jesus Christ overcame this world. Um, and, and, and so I want to encourage you uh, to put that in your heart. There, there will be a day when that'll matter when you do. Okay. So let's pray together. Father, as we uh, turn to John 16 and as we get ready to read it, we pray that you would prepare our hearts to read it. Uh, God, would you blow away the apathy? Uh, would you blow away the unbelief? Would you Lord, blow away the fog, maybe even the uh, numbness uh, that's in our heart that's just really prevalent in our heart because of the circumstances of, of, of our days and, and that you would help us to see uh, that in mercy and love and strength that you said these things and you intended for them to be recorded and you intended for them to be preserved and here they are in our hands right now. And so we pray, God, that you would speak through weakness and help us to understand how to apply this to our life. And then, God, would you give us courage to do just that. We're grateful, and we need your help, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, you and I, we all live in a nation. If you don't live here, you're visiting. You happen to be visiting in a nation. It was founded in large measure as an experiment in the pursuit of happiness and joy. We even have a 
founding document, a vital document that's, that, that's up in D.C. that actually tells us that you and I have been given rights, right? Rights that cannot be altered, uh, that you have the right um, to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. The whole thing was created and crafted as a social experiment that if we could live this way and provide these freedoms to ourselves, that we would be a happy people. And it's interesting if you really think about it, right, that these are universally cherished ideas. Everyone wants these things, whether they have these rights or not, right? That, that, that those who want to live want to have the right to keep living and, and not let someone else take that right from them or their life from them. Every single person in the world wants the freedoms to be able to make their own decisions and not become slaves or or, 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 or the third one, right, to pursue happiness. That every single one of us, uh, we, we chase happiness our whole life. And we don't want anyone standing in the way to say, you can't chase it that way. We just don't like that, right? And so you and I, we, we actually have these things written down for us as rights. And yet in the belly of our culture, ironically, bruise this cauldron of angst. And the reason our culture is so anxious is because we as people are so anxious. The culture is simply the compilation of us. And the fact is, is that you know this, is that we as a people, many of us even this morning are engulfed in fears. We're saturated with darkness, maybe even depression this morning. We're, 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 we're anxious at how fragile the pillars of our culture proved themselves to be week after week after week. Things that we thought we could depend upon, we find them crumbling. And we think, well, that's not the answer either. And we're routinely disappointed, are we not? That the pursuits to happiness that we thought would be, would finally unlock like some kind of sustaining happiness as they keep finding that those paths, we, like we keep finding they're all dead ends. They may even provide something for a time, but they can't endure forever. Every single one of us, we, we, we find this routinely, and yet we still pursue. And we pursue it in all kinds of different ways, right? We normally start with people because there's a lot of us around. We say, you know, if I could get the right kind of people around me, funny people, right? Uh, uh, folks who like the same things that I like, right? Shared, shared uh, uh, hobbies or, 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 or rich people or fun people or or, or, or folks that love comedy, or the things that I love, then, then perhaps I'll, I'll be happy. And yet we find that we've never found a single person on the face of this planet that can truly satisfy the depths of our heart. They're not here. So we say, okay, it must not be people. Maybe it's places. If we could go to like exotic places and we can go on vacations and do all these amazing things, then maybe if I went to the right place, then I would be happy, right? And so we, we even have all kinds of books for things like this. Here's, here's one, right? There's a 21 Steps to Happiness. And you can't read it from where you're at, but the little subtitle, it says, it all begins with Paris, right? That if you could just get to Paris and you could have a real crepe and, you know, and have somebody sing to you in French and you can see the Eiffel Tower, then you know what? Then the, that, that, that master key of joy would be unlocked. But isn't it interesting though, when you think about vacations, right? And all of us have had vacations that actually worked, right? Where we actually rested and it was a wonderful time and we, and we stayed the right amount of time. And it was just, it was like, yes. But 
Isn't it interesting how many vacations where we plan to go to these amazing places that are going to satisfy our heart, that the expectation of the vacation is more enjoyable than the vacation itself? It's because we're all in pursuit of happiness. So we think, okay, well, it's not necessarily people and it's not necessarily places. And so I'll bet it's processes. So you go to any Barnes and Noble, right? And you find all kinds of steps too, right? Ten steps to this, four steps to this, eight steps to this. I like men's health. They just, they just shoot the moon. 759 ways to improve your life, right? I mean, there's no OCD people there because they think it's got to be 760. Just one more, like uh, wear shoes. I don't know, something, anything, right? Just get to that next. No, no, we need 759 things for you to improve your life. It's an amazing thing. And, we, and then we find out that even when we accomplish all of our lists, we're still not there. And so then we're just down to bacon, right? And fortunately, bacon, right? Change your life with maple leaf bacon right here. Like, this is it. It's things that we could buy. If we could just have enough bacon on our plate, then, then we would be happy, right? And it's amazing to me that ever since the garden, people have been chasing this elusive carrot called happiness, and it's always one more step away. It doesn't matter how many steps you take. It seems to be always one more. And then Jesus Christ came to this earth. And Jesus Christ stood on this earth, and he opened up his mouth. And the day before, Jesus did the most amazing thing that's ever been done on this earth or anywhere else. Jesus said things like, guys, what I'm about to do and what I'm about to make available for you is going to provide you with a joy that nobody can take away. What we find in this text are Jesus' very last private words to his disciples before he hangs on a cross. The last five are, I have overcome the world. That's not bad. And so what we find here is these words are... Like to call these words that we're about to read valuable is to call the sun hot. They're, they're valuable. And so listen with an open heart as we read. Jesus says, verse 16, A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will see me. And again, a little while and you will not see me. Actually, I got that messed up. Sorry. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has had the baby, when it is actually delivered, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one 
will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I will, and I, um, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father Himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father. And have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. And his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So there's three things that I want to show you this morning as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. They're all of about Jesus. They're all attributes or truths about Jesus. But if you understand these things and believe these things and apply these things to your life, I promise you they will change your week and the rest of your life. The first is this, is that Jesus knows when our heart is full of sorrow. He knows when our heart is full of sorrow. Now you can see on the board, John 14 through 16, those are actually chapters. Okay. This point is actually a summary of three different chapters all combined. And this is, this is the culminating part of what he's seeking to do. But throughout, he's acknowledged to them that he knows that they are sorrowful. And this is important, and this is why. Okay, Jesus and his 11 last disciples. Judas has already been named as the traitor. He's already run out. He's not with them. They're now en route to a garden where Jesus is soon to pray and then be arrested. It's late. Some people think that it's already past midnight. And so we're already into Friday when he dies. And what that means is they're tired. We also know that Jesus knows that their heart is full of sorrow. They're shaken. You so, see, it's, it's, it's so fascinating what human beings are, are able to endure if they have hope, isn't it? Um, people can endure war if they have hope at the end. that Potentially, this could end and we could enjoy the rest of our days in peace. But if there's no hope at the end of the tunnel, then war is almost too much to endure. In fact, it may be. Some of you hate your job, but you continue to go to your job and you can endure because there's hope at the end of the tunnel. It may be that you may be able to work well enough to where you could get some kind of promotion and or 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 something happens where you change your job. It may be that you can continue to feed the people that you love. And the hope of knowing that your family members, people you love are cared for and provided for continues 
to fuel you to continue to go to something that is really difficult for you. Some people, even some people this week, on the, and even in our body, have died. And it's interesting that some of the people who have died, they really died what you can say well. They, they had hope in their heart. They had joy in their heart. They had peace in their heart, even at the point of death. And the reason they can do that is because there was hope at the end of the tunnel. But the flip side becomes really, really perilous. There's very few things that are more paralyzing than hopelessness. And this is what Proverbs 13, 12 tells us. He says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Meaning if you look in your situation and you can't see hope, it's, it's so deferred that you can't even see it on the horizon, it makes your heart absolutely sick. In seeing no hope, Jesus' disciples were heart sick. And Jesus knew that. You see, you have to understand why. Their entire lives have been front-loaded with expectations of what, what this Messiah would do. That he would come and he would eliminate all of the enemies. And he would set up his kingdom and set up his capital in Jerusalem. And he would reign here on the earth. And now the Messiah is standing right before them. And instead of promising them crusades, he's promising them crosses. And his cross, they had no capacity. They had, they had no category for the Messiah dying. And yet this Messiah says, I'm going to die and it's going to be tomorrow. I'm going to die. And it seems that their sorrow reaches a summit in John 16, verse 6. When Jesus, because he's sovereign, looks into and through their chest, into their heart and says, your heart is filled with sorrow. Now, all of us knows what it's like to fill a bucket, right? You have a hose and you got a bucket. There may be some dirt or some leaves at the bottom. And so you, you put the hose in and you turn the water on and, and the water level rises to the place to where eventually, if you leave it on, all of the leaves and all of the dirt, everything that was in the bottom is, 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 is pushed out of the bucket in order to make room for all the water that wants to be in there. And this is exactly what it means when he says that sorrow has filled your heart. It means that their heart is so full of sorrow that that sorrow has pushed out every other emotion. It's sort of like a general or an army on a battlefield with no surviving enemies. They're looking around saying that sorrow has dominated their heart. Sorrow looks around and it says, yep, I won. There's nothing else here. There's no hope. There's no joy. There's no peace. It's just full of sorrow. Jesus was able to look right into their heart and say, I I know where you're at. I know that you are full of sorrow. And you say, well, why does this matter to us? This was 2000 years ago and all 11 of these men are now dead. It's because God knew that every single person who walks on this earth would have days and times and seasons of their life when they're filled with sorrow. And he wants us to know, even today, that he sees about that and that he cares about that. That he sees your sorrow and he cares about your pain. So let's take comfort in Jesus' consideration of our lives. Let's take comfort in Jesus' consideration of our lives. This should comfort you today. In this week, I want you to consider this for a second, right? There is absolutely nothing so pleasant and there is absolutely nothing so tragic that can distract Jesus from seeing and caring about your pain and your life and what makes you numb and what makes you frustrated and what makes you hurt. He sees, 
and cares about all of it. And there's nothing so pleasant or so painful that can distract him, which is totally unlike us. So to help you understand this, I want to tell you one of my worst pastoral moments here at Providence. Okay? It's amazing I say that and all of a sudden a bunch of heads turn up. Ooh, this would be fun. This is juicy, right? Hold on, wait. You got to hear this. You got to hear this, right? Worst failure. Not worst. I've had lots of them, but this is one of them, okay? Um, I was at my office and we had just scheduled a surgery on our son on a spinal cord, okay? And there was a lot of things about his life uh, that were threatened with that, right? And so it was an emotionally taxing time. There was a sorrowful time. We set up the surgery. I came up to the office. I can still remember exactly where I was and all of the details I can still. And, and I had to come up to put things in order so that I could be away for about 10 days to help. And the phone rings. And I think, I don't want to answer that phone. And then I think, it may be Tabitha. I should answer the phone. So I answered the phone, and it wasn't Tabitha. It was a, it was a, a single gal here at Providence. And she was really distraught because she thought that her boyfriend may have lied to her. Which is significant if that's you, right? But I didn't care at all. And I told her that. I said, listen, I said, you know that we're friends. My son, we just scheduled surgery. And just to be totally honest with you, I just, I just can't care about this right now. I said, but in a few weeks, we can talk about this, right? And of course, she felt horrible. She didn't know. And then I felt horrible. And fortunately, God's grace moves. And a few years later, I was able to uh, marry her and her husband, which was, which was a great honor. But my point in saying that is this. Jesus never does that. He's never so distracted that he doesn't have the room or the capacity to care about your pains. I mean, think about this. Jesus is going to hang on a cross in a matter of hours, and he's caring about their sorrow. It's remarkable. You say, well, what about the pleasures, though? Like, You've probably been so distracted with something so cool and so pleasurable that, that you know, that you or your, sp- or your spouse or a child or a friend say, it calls and you're like, no, I can't take it now. This is just too good. All of us have been distracted by pains and pleasures in life to where we become less of the friend than we know that we should be simply because we were distracted. You think, well, what's like, what's going on in heaven right now that could be so pleasant for Jesus that it could cause him to be distracted? Well, how about the white-hot admiration and worship of all the holy angels and every redeemed person that has ever walked the face of this earth, all worshiping him in unison? It has got to sound like mountains crash. It, it, I cannot imagine what that is like. And Jesus is sitting at the right hand of his Father and receiving all of that affection, all of that admiration. And then we're down here and we lose a job. Or we're frustrated with our spouse or our child. And look at what the Bible tells us that he's doing at that moment. It says Christ Jesus is the one who died and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. How he can receive all of the worship and at the very same time say, God, you're doing a great job. You keep up the course. Great harmony over on the side. I've got to pray for these people. But what he's saying is this, is that he's praying for you even now. 
He's not so distracted with the most intense, pleasurable place in the world that he can't see and care about you and about me. Isn't that amazing? This is why it's here. Jesus knows when our heart is full of sorrow. The second thing I want you to see is that Jesus wants to turn our sorrow into joy. He wants to turn our sorrow into joy. So here's how this little section goes. He starts and he says, guys, in a little while, you'll not be able to see me any longer. And then after a little while after that, then you will see me. And his disciples who've been listening a long time, they've not said anything or nothing is recorded from them from all the way from John chapter 14, verse 22, all the way to here. They've just been listening to Jesus teach them and disciple them. Nothing is recorded. And all of a sudden they, they get confused, right? And so these disciples, they begin mumbling like the confused kids in the back of the classroom. What is that? I, I don't understand this. What, 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 what's going on? And they're talking to each other. And Jesus finally, he comes to, to the rescue. And he says, guys, I realize this is really difficult for you to understand. So let me just break it down. He says, guys, very soon I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And you, verse 20, will weep and lament. And the world, the people who hate me and who are going to want to arrest me, and they're going to flog me, and they're going to beat me, and they're going to put a crown of thorns on me, they're going to rejoice when I'm hanging there. You're going to be sorrowful. But then notice what he says. In a little while, I'm going to rise from the dead and your sorrow is going to turn to joy. I see what's in your heart and it's real. I care about it, but it's going to change because I'm committed to your joy. He saw that they needed some help. They needed some kind of illustration. So he says, think about it like a pregnant woman. At the hour of pain, there's tremendous sorrow and anguish. This hurts. Is this ever going to come out? Is it ever going to end? And then all of a sudden, when she's holding her baby, she no longer remembers the intensity of the anguish because of the intensity of joy. It, it's swallowed that up. It's, 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 it's overwhelmed, the sorrow, because of the intensity of joy. What he's saying is this. It's the exact same event that brings your sorrow, but will also bring your greatest joy. And how you're going to feel about this depends on the perspective, what angle you're looking at. You see, on this side of the baby, all you can see is anguish. But once she's holding the baby, it's joy. So what he's saying is, on this side of the cross, he's with his disciples and says, this is going to happen. And I realize that all you can imagine right now is anguish. But once we get to this side of the cross, all you're going to know is joy. Maybe this will help you, right? Two pictures, actually the same picture. The first one is this, right? Anguish, right? Agony. You think this is a bad day. Sorrow has filled your heart. And then it's the exact same picture, but look at the next one, okay? It's just flipped. And now all of a sudden, this person could have been running from the left to the right, jumping, and is coming down to hug this person. It's the exact same picture, exact same event, but all depending on how you look at it, it's going to give you tremendous sorrow or it's going to give you tremendous joy. 
And this is what he's saying to us. He's saying, guys, I realize where you're at right now, but I can take where you're at right now. And I can even make some of the most significant pains in your life, some of the most significant joys in your life. Because if I can take all the sin away from your life and make that event your greatest joy, then I can do a lot with the rest of your life as well. Verse 23, Jesus says, you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. I love what Jesus does here because over and over throughout these verses, he says, you will not see me and you will see me. Verse 16, verse 17, you will not see me, you will see me. He says it one more time in verse 19, you will not see me and now you will see me. And then you get down all the way down to verse 23 and it says, you will have sorrow, but I will see you again. The day's coming when it's not so important that you see me. You're not going to be looking for me. I'm coming looking for you. And this is exactly what took place. This was prophetic because in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 20, Jesus comes to where the disciples are at, stands among them and says, peace be to you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And then in verse 23, he says, and no one will be able to take your joy from you. You think, gosh, how in the world can Jesus make such a claim? I mean, how is Jesus' claim any different than the Bacon's claim, right, to change your life? You think, well, gosh, you shouldn't compare Jesus and Bacon. Okay, any claim. Anybody who's ever stood on this earth and said, if you do this, I'll make you happy. Why is he exclusive? Why does his claim matter? You see, two things must occur for our joy never to be taken away. One, the source of your joy can never die. And number two, you can't ever die. Because if either you or your source of joy ever perish, then your joy goes with it. And this is what Jesus' resurrection accomplished. When he rose from the dead, it guaranteed eternal life for him and to everyone who would believe in him. See, Jesus is never going to die again. And the Bible says that for everyone who lives and believes in him, they too Though they die physically, they will never die forever. This is what Jesus said. This is back in chapter um, 11 when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So you and I physically, we will die, but we will rise immediately and our joy will never be broken. And so providence, let's trust Jesus and experience his joy. You see... I realize, in particular, if you're younger, I know you've got all kinds of ideas. You've got all kinds of paths that you think are going to make you happy. When this happens, then this is how happy I'm going to be. And I want you to know that everyone in the world has already tried those. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 says there's nothing new. Your generation is not more creative. It's not more intelligent. It's not more innovative than any other that has ever lived. We're all circling around a cul-de-sac, okay? We're just using recycled means to make us happy. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ is the only way for you to know enduring joy. You were created in his image and therefore only he can give you joy. You take Jesus away and the joys on earth, no matter how noble or even godly those joys are, cannot satisfy your heart. You can't. 
And I want you to know this, that if your heart this morning does not rejoice in being near Jesus, then this text is not so much a promise to you as it is an invitation to you. So that you can see there is someone on the earth saying, I can give you joy. I can do this. I've found in my 43 years that Jesus is the only joy that can color the rest of my life and survive my death. And he's offering this as an invitation to you. So if you don't know Christ, you can believe in him today. And he'll turn your sorrow into joy. The third thing I want you to see is that Jesus wants to protect the fullness of our joy. You see, up until this point, his disciples, if they ever need anything, they ran straight to Jesus. He was, if they had a question, they went to him. If they got hungry, they went to him. And verse 23 says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Whatever you ask of my father, he will give it to you. Now, you need to understand, this is not, Jesus is not offering like a genie in the bottle where you rub the bottle, all of a sudden you get a few wishes and ask whatever you want and you get it. Every promise of God is only to be understood in its context. You have to understand what's happening for him to be able to say these words. What he's offering here is a new way of life, and that way of life is a relationship with God. You see, Jesus came to earth to reveal God. And most of the ways that he did that was through figurative language. He used parables. He said things like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the, I'm, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the light of the world. Metaphors, pictures. But he's saying that a new day was about to dawn. When he was going to die on a cross, be buried, rise from the dead, go to the Father and send his spirit to live within us in order to be our tutor, to lead us into the truth. And Jesus says this in that day, when that day happens, when I rise from the dead, go to heaven and my spirit comes to live within you, you will ask in my name. And it's almost translated kind of weird. It says, and I do not say to you that I will request of the father on your behalf. This is how it's worked. You got a problem. You come to me. I go to my father, but now things are going to be changed. I'm going to rise from the dead, put my spirit within you. You're not coming to me anymore. You're going straight to my father in my name. He's giving us direct access, and this is how he protects our joy. What he's saying is, guys, this is how I'm going to protect your joy. This is how you're not going to slide back into sorrow. When I've accomplished all of this on your behalf, you're going to be able to take your request straight to the Father in my name. This is why I taught you to pray, our Father who is in heaven. You see, if you love and believe in me, my Father will be your Father. This is what verse 27 says. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. What a stunning truth this must have been for men that grew up in a culture where you weren't even allowed to say the name of God. And now Jesus is saying, you can call him father. Dad. This is what Galatians 4, 6 says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You can come anytime. And so let's run to the Father in prayer. You see, we are going to go through pressure, tribulation, affliction, and distress. But Jesus is saying, take heart, for I've overcome the world. 
He's saying it's going to be hard, but I've given you a gift to protect your joy, and that's direct access to pray. And it's interesting what he does here. He says, in that day, you'll ask in my name. And he says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And you got to ask, well, how extensive is this asking? Four boats instead of three. I want, I want two lake houses. Is that anything you want? Is that? But you have to understand this. His promise and prayer is as extensive as the glory of God allows. See, all of us can think of prayers that don't glorify God, that have been even prayed on the earth. God, would you wipe out on this earth every race that's not like mine? People have prayed that prayer. Well, that's clearly not going to glorify God. And so God doesn't answer that prayer. That's not his will. No, but he told us how to pray, didn't he? Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. He starts the Lord's prayer this way. And he says, pray then like this. First clause, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the first thing you do. God, would you see to it that your name is hallowed, that your name is glorified, that, you're made as much, that your name is made much of. This is the first thing that he wants us to pray. And you have to understand that begins to color what we ask of him. What's the second clause? Well, the second one is your kingdom come. We're looking forward to the day when you're going to complete the redemptive work. And when we're in heaven and we're your kingdom come right now, we, we want it now. We'd rather be with you than be here. Well, that colors the way that we're going to petition him for things that we want, isn't it? Then the third one adds more color. And he says, I'll tell you what, and your will be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. In other words, the value system in heaven, the things that heaven cares about, the things that heaven loves, the things that you love, would you bring those things down here to the earth so that we love the right things, that we cry at the right things, that we laugh at the right things? And then finally he gets to us and he goes, and give us this day our daily bread. Would you give us what we need just for today that the first three clauses can take place? That your name would be glorified, that your kingdom would come, and that your value system in heaven would come to the earth. Would you give me that? That's what I want. And the Father is very inclined to do that because that is precisely what gives us joy. And for those of us who are in Christ, he's given us an amazing, amazing gift to remember that he's overcome the world and it's the Lord's Supper. And so for those that will be serving us today, if you want to go ahead and stand up and head to the back and get ready to serve us this morning, the Lord's Supper It consists of two different elements, a cup and bread, both symbolic of the blood and the body of Christ that was shed and broken for us. The Bible tells us that we should not take this unless our heart actually believes. And so if you have not trusted Christ, we as a church would simply ask you just to let these things pass because to take them is to treasure them. Perhaps at the end of the service, we could talk with you about knowing Christ uh, as your personal savior, and then you can take it the next time. But, but for this time, we would ask you to pass. And then for those of you who do know Christ, we welcome you to this table. But the Bible says to only do so after we've examined our hearts. So as the elements are being passed, what I would ask you to do is to pray and to ask God to search your heart and see if there's any sin. And if God reveals anything to you, then confess that to him because we want to take this with a clear conscience. Okay, so let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your love for us. And we're thankful for your commitment to our joy. And we pray, Father, in gratitude, what you've made available to us in sending Jesus to rescue us. We are amazed at your kindness. 
And we're amazed at your sacrifice. And we're grateful. And so would you search our hearts now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.